We will now read today's scripture, reading from Matthew 4, 18 through 22. If you would like to follow along in our pew Bibles, we are on page 809. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James and the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, my name is Mark Yanomoto. I'm one of the elders here at Regen. Uh, if you haven't met yet, I'd love to do that sometime. Uh, so this morning, Pastor Nate is going to be sharing about discipleship. So he asked uh, if I would share a little bit of my brief experience and our hope for discipleship here at Regen and what we've been working on. Uh, when my family and I first moved to Oakland in 2014, at that time I personally felt like I was in a spiritually dry season uh, and I couldn't wait to find a church home. Once we found Regen though, we immediately got connected to people, uh, many who are, are really good friends today, and a home group and a place where we could serve. And these were all really fulfilling, but something that I was really desiring at that time was a discipleship. And unfortunately, there wasn't really anything like that available. And if it was, it was maybe happening privately. A couple years later, though, uh, Steve Boutry, who was our associate pastor at that time, had invited me into a discipleship group uh, with several other men. And it was really good, uh, very uh, Steve-esque, uh, lots of his books to read. And at the end of that, uh, there's this charge to go out and do the same. And I can't say I felt confidently equipped to do so, but I figured if I'm going to suck, I might as well suck trying. And so by God's grace, uh, I have been blessed to do that in several ways, in different ways. And to be honest, though, I, nope, I'm no good bidding a lone ranger in ministry. But also, I don't believe I'm to continue to disciple alone or privately. In Ephesians 3, the author prays for unity, that we may be strengthened by the power of the Spirit that Christ would dwell in our hearts and that we would be rooted in love with all the saints to grasp the width, length, height, depth, and to know the love of Christ. So there's this strength and unity that we are to live out in mission. And if you remember several weeks ago, Pastor Albert was teaching from Hebrews 10 and the author has this exhortation uh, that we must not neglect meeting together. And uh, because I am bent and broken, and I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I need to be in community with people. And remember, Pastor Albert talked of these three lettuces, this bowl, this healthy bowl of lettuce. And those are, let us draw near with a true heart of full insurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works. So I need to be surrounded by people I can pour into and uh, have people pour into me as well for encouragement, for reminders, and to be stirred up. Our mission here at Regen is to invite people to follow Jesus and experience life in the Holy Spirit. If you want to look at that again, we have that on our website. And we do that in several different ways here, but I also believe we need to be intentionally and 
openly making disciples, encouraging one another, brothers and sisters, uh, into spiritual maturity, not by simply making people better believers in Jesus, but active followers of Jesus in his word and in deed. So earlier in the year, Pastor Nate and I uh, began talking and dreaming up what discipleship might look like at Regen. And I have to say, I'm super grateful for Pastor Nate and just the time that he's uh, invested into our conversations. Uh, And that alone has been super encouraging for me. And as we spoke, four things came up that we agreed were on our hearts if we were to be obedient to make disciples. One, we need to be intentional with our time and our space. Discipleship is about people becoming fully committed followers of Christ. So there needs to be commitment and investment for that to happen. Vulnerability and accountability is important for our growth, so it also has to be a safe environment. Uh, We agree that spiritual formation is important, and that's a process of where we're transformed to being more Christ-like in mind, body, and spirit. And the way we do that are through habits, practices, and exercises that wake up our inner being to live out our outer being. We'll do an example of that at the end of this. We also agree that size was important. Uh, So we noticed that Jesus taught several different ways. He taught to the mass. Uh, He talked to his small group of 12. And then he had Peter, James, and John as his inner circle, so as to have a more intimate training. And this is where we think discipleship should happen. Smaller groups of three to four men or, or women. And then we need a missional goal. And we want our mission to be a pathway for individuals to grow into spiritual maturity, step into uh, servant leadership, and then faithfully and obediently multiplying and making disciples of Jesus. In Ephesians 4, Paul urges that we will no longer be like children being tossed to and fro by every kind of turbulence our broken world throws us, but that we will grow into mature uh, believers in Christ to know and speak the truths of the gospel and love to each other. So two months ago, we finally started a pilot discipleship group. Prior to this, Nate and I prayed and made a list of people that would make up this first cohort. And today, uh, we, are doing, we have a cohort made up of seven, four women and three men, to be potential core leaders uh, for future discipleship groups. Uh, the curriculum we're using is called The Ninefold Path by Mark Scandred of San Francisco. And it's a journey through the wisdoms and, uh, of the Beatitudes. And each week is designed to help each person connect authentically, relate with each Beatitude to the needs and aches in our lives and in the world. And then we do this through experimenting with activities and practices in each session and privately by ourselves through the week. And so far, uh, it's been really amazing uh, being able to journey uh, with these brothers and sisters sharing our struggles and blessings uh, that we have been experiencing, praying for each other and encouraging one another and extending grace where grace is so needed. Uh, I liken it to getting healthy. It's not necessarily easy, but it just feels good. It just feels good to exercise healthy rhythms and practices into our lives. So I wanna share one of these practices that we do each week and uh, it's awkward, but I want you to Uh, entertain this. Uh, It's exercising of hearing the words of Jesus and allowing him to lead us to respond to what is real and true. So 
It's gonna be a prayer of the Beatitudes and then a response with a posture. So I'm gonna go over the uh, postures really quick, okay? And I'm gonna say the Beatitude and then we're gonna respond with a posture. Okay, so the postures for blessed are the poor in spirit, we're gonna respond, lead us in the way of trust. That's with open hands, okay? The next one is lead us to the way of lament and that's our head in our hands. Lead us in the way of humility, which is bowing with our hand on our heart. Lead us in the way of justice, with clenched fist, crossed. Lead us the way of compassion. <laughs> Lead us in the way of right motive. And you're supposed to do jazz hands, but we just do this. If you want to do jazz hands, please do jazz hands. That would be awesome. Uh, lead us in the way of peacemaking, and that's to reach out and embrace with our hands closed. Lead us in the way of surrender, hands lowered and crossed in surrender. And lead us in the way of radical love, and that's holding our hands in the posture of a crucifixion. Okay, so I'm going to read the Beatitude, and you're going to respond with the follow-up and the posture. Okay, let's do that together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we all say, lead us in the way of trust. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Lead us in the way of lament. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Lead us in the way of humility. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Lead us in the way of justice. Excuse me. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Lead us in the way of compassion. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Lead us in the way of right motive. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Lead us in the way of peacemaking. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Lead us in the way of surrender. Finally, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lead us in the way of radical love. Amen. And welcome to the Ninefold Path. Good morning. Thank you, Mark. Um, I have a deep appreciation just for partnering with Mark and his heart and his uh, life as a disciple of Jesus. So I'm uh, really grateful for him. Would, would you pray with me? We're going to look at an ancient scripture about following Jesus this morning. Father, thank you for that prayer. Um, thank you that we're here this morning, and thank you that you love us. God, thank you that you're a God of grace and of mercy and a God of second chances as we seek to follow you and as we fall down and seek to follow you and fall down. Um, thank you that you're a God of, of grace and mercy. This morning, as we look at this text, God, would you wake us up? Would your Holy Spirit speak to us? Would your Holy Spirit use the words um, in my notes, use this text, God, um, for you, for your glory, for your kingdom? Uh, would you inspire us to, to follow Jesus? Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is the greatest teacher who ever lived. Think about that. The greatest, wisest, best Life coach, teacher, guru, counselor, 
whoever lived is Jesus. Taught the absolute best way to live. God, right? God in a body on the earth giving us wisdom about how to live on this earth. There's nothing really, you can't get better than that. And this morning, I want to challenge us to see Jesus as our Lord and Savior and as our teacher. And to see us as disciples of Jesus and the way of life that Jesus has taught us. Because we are all invited into discipleship. Now, Mark and I hope that some of you will jump into these groups, which would be wonderful. But in in different ways over your life, we are all invited to live into being disciples of Jesus. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. A disciple is an apprentice of Jesus. A disciple is a student of Jesus, who sits at Jesus' feet and says, Jesus, teach me. I trust you, so I want to follow you with all the ways that I live in this world. I'm going to read this text again. Uh, Matthew 4, 18 through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the, son of Ze- James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I remember when I first heard this story when I was younger, and it just seems weird. There's actually some old Christian movies and even plays where it just seems weird. You know, there's this random guy walking by, and these, these young men are, like, fishing, and Jesus just walks by and goes, follow me, and they just go, like, like zombies, like, okay, and they just, like, drop their stuff and just start, like, walking in this, like, weird aura towards this strange man that walks by, and it's like, well, Jesus just had this aura, so they just dropped everything, and we're like, ah, um, but historically, like, when you study the context of what was going on in that society, Jesus was a rabbi or a teacher. He had just reached age 30 and which was the time in that culture where you were allowed to become a public figure, teacher, rabbi. So Jesus is now at that time, most likely, these are not like massive cities like Oakland. This is a small city on the side of a lake, people fishing. People knew each other, who they were. Jesus is ready to start this ministry, and he walks by, and he calls them, and he says, you come and follow me. And so they were like, that rabbi, Jesus, is calling me. So I'm going to throw my net and I'm going to follow this Jesus. And it was actually in that culture a great honor to be called by a teacher or a rabbi. It was a great honor to have a rabbi say, I I want you to come follow me. Because Jesus is this incredible rabbi. Now in those days, kids would try to memorize the whole Torah. So that's what we have in the beginning of what we call the Old Testament is the Torah And they actually, as a kid, you would like be way into who the cool rabbis were and want to be like them. And so you'd want to actually, like like Jewish kids would want to like memorize the Torah and know how to go debate it and understand it and, and go through all of it really well. And hopefully like maybe get to meet a rabbi and be around them. Like kids today want to, right, be like entertainers and like YouTubers now. Like I don't, I'm getting old. 
Right, right, kids are into like who, you know, musical art, like who would you want to meet? Like my son wants to go meet Damien Lillard at a Dame's picnic every year. Like that's who you want to, right, like meet or be when you grow up as a kid. Kids in their society were like, I want to learn the whole Torah and meet a rabbi. So when rabbi comes and a rabbi Jesus says, come follow me, it's not just some weird guy. This is like a teacher of the way of God, of the Torah is calling me to learn how to interpret the Torah, how to live the Torah. And this Jesus is calling me. So they would leave everything. They left their nets. They left their work. They would leave their family behind, and they would leave it all and go follow Jesus. Now, the word disciple is used, depending on your translation, it's different, but around 269 times in the New Testament, the word disciple. The word Christian is used around three times. But this word disciple is like embedded in this story of Jesus, this teacher. I'm going to like lay out about four different points about discipleship. Because in some ways, it's totally different, right? In their, in their days, they actually saw a physical Jesus in front of them. They could actually leave their nets and just start walking behind him. So today, there's similarities and there's differences of how we can be a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus and this way of life Jesus teaches but the first point I want to look at is discipleship does include new information. Being a disciple of Jesus, learning the way of life Jesus teaches, includes getting the right information into our brains. An element of learning. Now back in that, those days, they would call a disciple a Talmud, or the group was the, the Talmudim. There'd be a group who would follow a rabbi and they would sit at the rabbi's feet and learn how to interpret the Torah, learn how to interpret the text, get all this information inside of them. And today we live in a different era where we don't have to go sit with a rabbi. There we can go on all these screens we have, right? And go all over, kind of be transported all over the world to the great teachers of our day and, and learn. There are Bible studies, and there are commentaries, and there are books, and there are discipleship curriculums, right, ad nauseum. I mean, there are so many. There are Bibles everywhere, right? Like, look all over your pews, in your phones, there's Bibles. So we have this opportunity to have this Jesus information of how to live. That information is available to us. But then every day we also have what those young men, those disciples didn't have. Those disciples didn't have the ability to stare at Netflix and Facebook and YouTube, right? And Instagram and whatever else you like to stare at, the news on your phone. They didn't have those distractions. They could just walk and there's maybe, you know, like one, some scrolls in town and you'd follow a rabbi. Like, they didn't have that kind of distraction. So we live in this information overload today where we have to choose every day what information affects me. Do I take in information that is going to help me understand the way of life Jesus taught? Or do I take in like all this other information that maybe isn't bad, but it's just all this other, other information. So many, there are so many things that can teach us about life. And if I go around and said, what teaches you, who teaches you how to live? Not who do you say your God is, but who, who teaches you how to live? Who teaches you how to handle your money? Like who teaches you how to handle relationships? Who teaches you how to handle your body? Who does that? We'd probably have all kinds of different answers. Friends, mentors, parents, right? All these different, maybe podcasts, people on podcasts or on TV shows who actually influence how we live. But I want to stay and challenge us this morning 
that Jesus is the greatest teacher. And he taught us this unique way of life in the scriptures that we have to read that is really amazing when we read it. And it's really mind-boggling and beautiful when we read the way of life that Jesus teaches. But a disciple would sit at the feet of Jesus and get this information. So today we do need new information, like staring at the Beatitudes and saying, God, what does this mean? How do we live into these Beatitudes? But discipleship is also, point number two, a way of life. For the Talmudim, they would not sit in a class all day with Jesus. If you read the stories, right? If you flip through Matthew and Mark and Luke, it, every day is not next chapter, and then they were sitting next day in the class, and Jesus said this. No, every, excuse me, <laughs> Woo, I'm excited. Every story is what? They went walking somewhere else, right? They went walking over there, and they followed Jesus, and they had an adventure. And then they went walking over here, and Jesus healed somebody, and they were there for that. And then they went over there, and they fed people. And then they went over there, and they argued with some religious hypocrites, right? And they, and they, but they followed Jesus, and there was a way of life of following Jesus. It wasn't just information. It was how they lived, and they learned this new way of life how to love and how to sacrifice, how to be humble, how to forgive, how to be courageous, how to serve, right? Jesus sent them out and said, go out and do these things too. And then come back to me and we'll, we'll debrief how it went. I'm going to read Hebrews 13 because we're going through Hebrews in the sermon study that we're taking a break from today. It also talks about a way of life. Hebrews 13, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. This phrase, this way of life that you have been taught. Not just a belief of information, but a way that we actually live, a way of life. Your leaders have taught you this way of life that Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, forever, is still teaching you. So discipleship is a holistic thing of how we actually live in the world. The third thing is, and, and Mark mentioned this, is discipleship is done with other human beings. The first disciples were a group of people. They went through this together. They followed Jesus together as a group. Sometimes 12, sometimes an inner circle, but they did this together. And you cannot be a disciple alone. Amen? You, you cannot be a disciple by yourself. Some of us have tried to be a disciple by yourself, maybe for a season, right? Maybe for a few months. It's like, oh, I can read the Bible and just figure this out myself for this time period. And you can't. It's not the way that Jesus taught. It isn't the way the scriptures teach. To be a disciple, to follow Jesus, and to take risks into a new way of life requires other human beings that you rub shoulders with, who challenge you. We've been doing this going through the Beatitudes, and there's moments when I don't do the prayer practice on Monday, and I'm like, ah, oh, I had a busy day. And I'm like, oh yeah, but we're going to meet on Sunday and talk about our prayer practice. 
Oh yeah, well I'm going to try it, right? On Tuesday, I'm going to actually go and journal the prayer practice and think about how I treat people because like, we're doing this together. If it was me by myself doing a curriculum, I might just be like, I'll just push it back a week, right? Like, who's going to know? But in a group, I'm like, oh yeah, we're doing this together. I want to try this way of life with my friends and we're going to follow Jesus um, together. Next point is discipleship is for all of us. I think this is one of the things that somehow in church we can, we can kind of think incorrectly about. We're all invited to be disciples of Jesus, to be followers of Jesus, to, to be a part of spiritual formation. Not, not some elite Christians, not some Christians who are older, or who are younger, or who went to Christian college, or who understand the Bible more than us, or who are elders, or who are pastors, or who are super Christians. Not just them, but the life of a disciple is for all of us here. And it's available to, to all of us. Each and every one of us. We're all called to be disciples. We're all called to leave our nets and leave all the cares of the world and say, I, whatever is going on here, I'm going to follow this Jesus and learn this way of life. And when this Jesus says not to love, when Jesus says to love your enemy, when Jesus says to reconcile with your brothers and sisters, when Jesus says not to lust, when Jesus says to give to those who ask of you, when Jesus says you can't serve God and money, when Jesus says not to worry, when Jesus says not to judge, these teachings are for all of us to, to wrestle with and to ask for the Holy Spirit to guide us into this lay of life as a disciple. And I, I want to point out that on one hand, this idea of being a disciple, of, of following Jesus in the practical parts of our life, on one hand, it seems hard. Like, I don't want to lay my nets down. I just want to keep fishing, right? Like, I don't want to have to do a prayer practice every day. That just sounds like, oh, like stuff I have to do, and it sounds hard. I don't want to forgive people. Like, that just sounds like stuff that's hard. So on one hand, there is an element of giving up your life, of sacrificing. But on the other hand, Really seeking to live a life of discipleship, I have found to be the most life-giving, peaceful thing in the world. Because when I've actually sat down and said, oh, I'm actually going to pray the Beatitudes every day this week, it kind of sounds hard at first, but then when I actually take 10 minutes to journal about my identity in Christ in the middle of the day, which seemed like a chore, once I do that, oh, I just give this space for God to remind me that he loves me, Amen. Like, I just give this space for God to come in and say, thank you for taking 10 minutes of your day to be with me and to wrestle with what this means. And I find that when I take a little break from working on the nets and I, and I spend time seeking to be a disciple, that it's like the Spirit meets me there and encourages me and gives me life and gives me hope, reminds me who I am in God, even when I have really messed up. And, and I want to point out, as we wrestle with discipleship, it, it can sound like doing stuff. And there is an element of living or of doing. But I also want to point out that here's the reality, even of seeking to live a way of life in Jesus or seeking to be discipleship with other people, is that you come there and we realize we're all broken people. Amen? Like, we are all messed up. And even in the Beatitudes, like, uh, we've been journaling and praying, I've faced some of my brokenness in a deeper way. I have faced my failures and my flaws and my shortcomings and my insecurities. 
but I've faced them with Jesus, right? Like I've faced some of those things that are hard, and I've, yeah, I am a messed up human being, <laughs> and I've got some big flaws and some big growth edges still, but if I can do that with other people, and if I can do that w- with God and let God speak into that, I can open up this healing process and kind of take steps to be a disciple of Jesus, to live this way of life. I'm going to read this. Um, we're going to close in a minute. I'm going to read Matthew 28, 16 through 20. So we started at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now we're looking at the very end, thinking about following um, Jesus, making disciples. So Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm always struck by this. Um, Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors, teachers, um, calls this, sometimes this is like the great, we call it the great commission. He says sometimes this is like the great omission because we skip the discipleship part um, in, th- in thinking purely about the evangelism part. Because Jesus didn't just say, go and get people to pray a prayer or go and plant churches or go and get people to say they're Christians. Jesus says, go and make disciples and teach them everything I've commanded. This is like this big final thing that that we follow. Go and teach them everything. Go and make disciples. But if we're going to make disciples, we first have to be disciples. To wrestle with Jesus' teachings. To invite the Holy Spirit to form us, to shape us into new people. People of love and people of trust. People of humility. People of sacrifice. People of courage. People of truth and honor in this world. And I want to give a final challenge. If we live as disciples, just us in this room, if we really lived and followed the way of life Jesus taught, the people around us would notice something. Like when you live as a follower of Jesus in concrete ways, people around you go, what in the world are you doing? You just forgave me at work? You know what I mean? You just gave some, you, you, you gave some of your money away? Like, your family has someone living with you and not paying rent? Like, what, what are you doing? When we take risks to live as a disciple, people actually really see something really different and unique in us that, that, is, that is beautiful and is joyful and is good. And they're like, what is going on with you? Why do you live that way? And it's like, because I follow Jesus. When I follow Jesus, I end up doing things that aren't really normal in our culture. And it's kind of hard and it's kind of scary, but it's also fun and beautiful and joyful. And I feel alive and I feel free when I follow Jesus at the same time. So I want to encourage you this morning with some questions. And in a moment, we'll go back to a time of worship um, and prayer, but some reflection questions. Who or what influences how we actually live in the world? Who really influences how you really live? And then how would you describe the way of life that Jesus teaches? And would it change your life if you saw Jesus as God and also your rabbi or your teacher for your life? So if the worship team would come back forward, I'm going I'm to pray for us, invite us into a time of communion, um, worship, and prayer.
Pray with me. Dear God, thank you that you invite all of us to follow you. God, all of us in this room, you invite us to follow you as your disciples. Even those of us in this room who feel like we mess up over and over and we're not worthy of you, God, you invite us. You love us anyway. You show us mercy and grace and you invite us to follow you. You invite us to follow your ways and your teachings and you say that your Holy Spirit will help us, that your Holy Spirit will empower us as we follow you. God, this morning I ask that you would give us a courage to follow you. And whatever that step might be towards discipleship, uh, God, would you give us the courage to take a step towards integrating your way of life into our life, towards following you as our great teacher. God, thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy. Amen.